EMS1.com is the number one online resource for the EMS community and authoritative voice in pre-hospital care. Our members enjoy access to exclusive content from top EMS educators and physicians, award-winning e-newsletters, original video series, member-only product discounts, access to free continuing education courses, and much more. If you're an EMS and not a member of EMS1, join the community for free today. Just go to ems1.com backslash registration. That's ems1.com backslash registration to become a member. Well, this is it. It's Friday, and it's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Amalera. We missed you last week. It was the cold and flu edition of Inside EMS. I had a little bit of bronchitis, and we got to put the show on the shelf. But here's the guy that I miss the most in all this time, my good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, how are you? I'm good, man. You should have you should have reached out to me. I'm chicken soup for the Sevalero soul. Do you really? Uh, would you have, Would you have brought it to me though from world famous Pitkin, Louisiana? No, I'd I'd probably pay Grubhub or, or oh, waiter okay. to bring you some. Well, that would have been even more. That would have been even uh, better because it would have been expensive. But I got to tell you, I was looking at our numbers the other day, Kelly, and you know we are really thankful. I think for the you know the the folks that we have listening to the show. I mean, hopefully we entertain. Yeah, I mean, our goal, I mean, the things that I'm happy for is we get to entertain, we get to educate, uh, you get to talk to me every week. So I think that there's a lot of great things that happen within this show. And uh, I was looking, we have uh, quite a bit of folks from Canada. We have quite a bit of folks from uh, across the pond that are fans as well. And I just want to say thank you to all of them. And sometimes I just think it's you and me listening, but there's quite a following we have. Yeah, it's it's great to to have an audience, and, and hopefully continue to bring them uh, great content and everything. It's you know one of the problems with with being an advocate in social media is you know, sometimes it feels like you're screaming into the void uh, because there's there's so much uh, noise and not enough signal out there. So it's it's nice to get feedback from our listeners and to know they're out there and appreciate what we're doing. Now here's another thing I'm excited for: we have the opportunity on this show to talk to some of the great leaders in EMS. And today, we are going to have another great discussion with an EMS pioneer who really kind of gives us, you know, kind of that that vision of what the future of EMS looks like. And I guess that's what he told me to write. Let's see, I wrote it all down. Which uh, EMS pioneer? Yeah, so that's it. I want to introduce <laughs> the new president of NAEMSP, Dr. David Tan. Doc, I want to thank you for joining us once again on Inside EMS. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here, Chris and Kelly. So, you know, Doc, I mean, you just, this is your tenure now. I mean, you're now the president of the National Association of EMS Physicians. And, you know, we really want to kind of think about what your tenure is going to look like. I mean, we think about EMS today, and we had some really great uh, news that came out in regards to the future of reimbursement. You know, we're talking about this transition to community paramedicine. We're starting to see more and more reimbursement there. I mean, so I think from your side, as you as you pick up the gavel now and you start to move out through your tenure as president, what is the future of EMS going to look like? Well, I'll tell you this. I, I'll tell you the same thing that I tell my students and EMS fellows and colleagues. This is really 
the most exciting time, I think, to be practicing EMS medicine for a number of reasons. But I think first and foremost, in the era where EMS medicine has been recognized by the House of Medicine as a bona fide subspecialty, we now recently have uh, had the government in the form of CMS recognize EMS not as a provider of transport, but as a provider of health care, which is truly a historic moment and I think builds a framework for a future that is that is robust, that is very bright, but that is also going to demand a lot more responsibility from all of us in EMS, from the street-level providers to the medical directors to the administrators. This is a game-changer, to put it mildly. I was going to ask you the same, uh, that very thing, Doc, that I, I think that ET3 is going to be transformative. At first glance, I think that uh, this is the thing that's going to really empower uh, uh, community paramedicine and, and mobile integrated health, but but it can be transformative for the entire profession. I think this is CMS's way of saying, okay, here, show us what you got. Prove to us that you're you're more than transport technicians. EMS is going to look entirely different for the better in about 10 years. You're absolutely right. I think uh, in 10 years or less, uh, it's, we're going to look back on where we came from and hardly recognize it if we do it right. And that's the key. When you when you think about where we are in the history of EMS and what just happened, um, we this is our opportunity, and it is it is our future to lose, quite frankly. So I think we all have to get together as stakeholders and say, what do we want EMS to look like, and boldly go out and make it. Because right now we're giving that opportunity. We're we've essentially been given that slate, that blank slate, to say. Show us what you got. Just like you said, I like that phrase. The, the the government is saying, show us what you got. Show us what you can do. You've told us you can do all these things, and now we have to deliver. And so I think that that's a challenge that makes it very exciting. And the folks I've talked to agree that this really is our moment, and we have got to get together and make this work. You know, I think that there's a lot of great things that are in that answer that really kind of decides to take us down different paths. But for those who, who may not know what we're talking about, let's give them a little bit of background before we jump into the next question. So uh, this week, or actually it was the 14th, uh, CMS came out with a pilot program, which is due to start in 2020, which was they, they will now reimburse EMS for treat no transport so now if you treat a patient on scene a medicare patient on scene and you leave them there uh, you're going to get some reimbursement if you take them to alternative destination i.e uh, you know an urgent care center or maybe the doctor's office uh, you'll get reimbursement and then there's going to also be a component for telemedicine connection primary care physicians can bill for telemedicine so if ems is able now to connect from the patient's home to the primary care physician, not only are we going to get reimbursed from CMS for that, but also the primary care physician has a CPT code that they can get reimbursed for. So, Doc, now this is a pilot. It's supposed to run from 2020 to 2025. And as, as Kelly said, over the next 10 years, what the future looks like, we've got to be able to prove over that five-year time frame that we're able to make a difference and change the paradigm. We've got to bend the curve now of where that billing is going, whether it's the ER, whether it's hospitalizations. And if we can avoid that, this is going to be really great for EMS. So, Doc, I think the question I want to ask you now is, as you now set off in the future of this presidency, 
How does EMS medical directors need to prepare their systems to take on this extra burden? I mean, now think about it. We do AMA, and they sign a piece of paper. You know, it does keep medical directors up at night, all these people that we AMA. But this is going to be different now. Now we're going to decide to treat somebody at home, and if we make the wrong decisions, there may be some challenges. So what are the challenges that these EMS medical directors are going to face in this new environment? The challenge comes with opportunity, but first I'll, I'll address your very good question about the challenges. You know, the difference now with uh, treat no transport, where we can actually triage the patient on the scene, decide whether or not they need to go to the emergency department versus alternative transport, or whether or not they'd be safe to follow up as an outpatient, it will now include follow-up. In, in other words, we're not just AMAing someone and saying, well, well, we hope we don't read about you in the newspaper in the obituaries. We, <laughs> we will now be able to have a plan with a primary care home, a primary care physician, a, a federally qualified health center, some kind of clinic or follow-up through telemedicine and through community agreements with alternative destinations for follow-up. We, we, we can't leave these patients out in the wind. I don't think that's the intent, but the intent is to get patients to the more appropriate destination or, or place. And so what's exciting to me is that, yes, we, we will have a challenge of now bringing up our medics and, and training them more for, for a more comprehensive assessment and to be navigators of our current healthcare system, which, you know, frankly, they already kind of do now, but we'll actually give our medics a greater, greater freedom of, of choices and, and, a, and a greater depth and breadth of choices for destination for their patients so that they'll have a greater options for follow-up. They won't just be leaving patients and again, hoping that they don't read about them later in the obituary. So I think with that opportunity comes a lot more responsibility to have a lot better training, to do a more comprehensive assessment, and to get our medics to be good navigators for their patients and to be patient-centered. You know, as that great philosopher Ben Parker once noted, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. So do you yeah. do you think that this this added responsibility and, and the greater flexibility we're going to have in making clinical decisions is going to require more formal education or or can this be something that is addressed through uh, through continuing education? Well, I think clearly the the future of of EMS and paramedicine in general is going to demand a greater foundation of education. And, you know, when I have this conversation with folks, particularly as it centers around the requirements for a degree and degree programs for paramedics, boy, that's a can of worms for a lot of people because I think no one disagrees that education is a good thing, but what folks get hung up on is, well, what does it get the, the, the street-level paramedic? What does it get them? And do we have the funding to begin paying paramedics what they're worth for the amount of decision-making and responsibility we're asking them to assume? And so I, I have to agree with, with those that say that education is great, but we're not ready yet. But here, again, is where I think the system is beginning to put in place an infrastructure by which we can build a future where paramedics are paid 
more as a profession instead of a tech job. I think that's the the critic's biggest and strongest argument against requiring degrees at mm-hmm. this time, is that there is no way to compensate our medics who do get advanced degrees. But with with the implementation of ET three, we now have the opportunity to kind of shift our, the, the thinking toward toward the medical care that we provide, and, and potentially there's there I won't say potentially there are huge cost savings there that we can that we can help bring about rather than just have our default be bring the patient to the most inefficient and expensive care in the healthcare system, the emergency department. Um, we can start to prove our worth by being, as you said, efficient gatekeepers to the system and, and keep costs down. If we can, if we can track and, and, uh, and quantify that, then that is a powerful argument for increasing reimbursement, uh, across the board uh, show that we, yeah. we provide a lot of bang for the buck and, and the salaries can follow. Absolutely. And, and I, think, I think the cost or the, the money, the funding where this will come from is kind of from both ends on, on the supply end and the demand end in that we, I think CMS has said, has estimated conservatively that we could save at least half a billion dollars or more annually in just uh, more appropriate destinations and and wider choices, patient choices for transport. But also on the other end, when EMS services can recoup costs for the many treat and release patients that we see, that is also another way to justify increasing reimbursement and salaries for our medics. And in that regard, I think we can build, start building a future where we say, we're going to reimburse you and compensate you at a salary commensurate with a medical professional, but we are also now going to require you to be degreed like one, like we do most nurses and certainly doctors and other healthcare professionals, nurse practitioners, PAs, um, where a degree is an expected uh, part of their certification and licensure. I think that that is a a way to do it if we do it correctly. I think Chris's original question was also, what does that do for medical directors? And I think this is where the National Association of EMS Physicians is truly passionate in that this program also gives us an opportunity to expect and demand more from our EMS physicians in that we no longer can accept medical directors who are in absentia. We, you know, the so-called milk cart medical directors where the, the crews wouldn't know them if they literally ran into them. I love um, that, race. <laughs> and we, we have to say, medical directors, you can no longer uh, just show up once a year to sign off on the protocols and be gone for another year. You've got to be engaged. You have to be uh, invested in your EMS services. You have to demonstrate quality and measure quality metrics and show your value. And what this program will hopefully also do is give us an opportunity to reward those services, those EMS agencies that demonstrate quality metrics and and effective physician medical oversight, active medical direction, so that they can also be reimbursed for that and therefore begin paying medical directors, as a lot of our EMS medical directors are still across the country volunteers and uncompensated. Yeah. And it's hard to demand stuff from a volunteer who is not compensated for their time and expertise. You know, I think that one of the things that we have to think about in this space 
you know, th it, this seems to be the holy grail, but it really it isn't. I mean, we talk about a five-year pilot, then we talk about rolling that out thereafter. You know, we're talking about education standards. We're talking about paying more money. But we have to be very, very sure that in this time frame of discussion and setting this up, we've got to be able to negotiate the rates that are going to be acceptable to the EMS systems that they're now able to make different decisions. And, and let me explain what I mean. And Doc, I'm going to want to get your opinion on this when I'm done opining. We send a $1,500 ambulance bill out the door. We get $427 back in reimbursement from CMS. How much do you think they're going to give us? for a treat no transport how much are they going to give us for an alternative destination transport you you know you hit the nail on the head when you said we could save over a half a billion dollars every year but are they going to share that money with us so we have to be very very strategic when we sit at the table to talk about this reimbursement of what this new service line is going to look like but we have to get a piece of the pie as well at the end to say you know what Maybe there needs to be some performance metrics that, you know, same thing that they're doing with these ACOs. You know, if you save us a million dollars, we'll split it 50-50 with you. Or are they going to do that with EMS? Right. And that's a very good point. I have to tell you that that fact has not been lost on uh, so many of us and uh, our stakeholders that are looking at this opportunity because you're absolutely right. With the cost savings, is the assumption going to be that the system will then reinvest that? There has even been talk of subsidization still in the face of cost savings, but the question is to what level will the industry tolerate that and, and how much subsidy is needed to fill the gap? We haven't even defined that gap yet, and this is a new program, but isn't that the whole point of a, of a demo program and a pilot program like this? is to get to to get the industry to to build it to build the infrastructure to demonstrate the cost savings to be more efficient and once for once be actually patient centered instead of system centered and then go from there see how much we've actually saved see where we have applied those efficiencies where we can then recover some of the funding previously not available. And I, I think that you're absolutely right. That's where that's both the exciting uh, challenge, but also the opportunity to make this work. And, and we, we just have to do it. We have to come together as an EMS community and make this happen. But this means we have to be involved. We have to be at the table. We have to participate Remember, this is going to take some work. Not just everyone can just start billing CMS for treat no transport. This is going to require uh, a response to an RFP, and it has to be approved. So we really have to come together and regionalize our care and begin to put this model together the right way from day one. I can't wait to see what uh, Eagles is like in the next couple, three years when, when the poster presentations and panels come out from uh, the Eagles Conference and, and see our, our nation's system's largest medical directors uh, opine on the subject. You'd think that that the uh, the most uh, advanced EMS systems in our country would kind of take the lead on this and, and be interesting hearing what Kings County Medic One and MedStar and, and Wake County and, and their like uh, do with, uh, with this new reimbursement model. I think this is going to be front and center at every EMS conference 
and gathering for the next several years. It's going to be incredibly interesting and eye-opening to see the resourcefulness and ingenuity of the different EMS systems. I think as diverse as our EMS systems are, I think so will these uh, proposals and these programs that are put together. And I think out of this, we're going to see we're going to see some common themes emerging. We're going to see truly some best practices emerging from the different uh, programs that are going to be put in place. And from that, we will continue to refine and redefine our practice of medicine, uh, much as we have with mobile integrated healthcare over the last several years. Um, we have come to redefine it and reconceptualize what it can and cannot do. I think the same thing is going to happen with, with this, with ET3. From a physician standpoint, from, uh, from an EMS physician standpoint in particular, I, I think what's the most exciting for me is, is the future of our medical directors and the quality metrics. We really can't overstate how important that is to finally have some real expectations and requirements for, for medical direction. I think our EMTs and paramedics deserve it, our, our EMS systems, and more importantly, our patients deserve strong physician medical oversight where we are patient-centered and we look at our outcomes. What I find really interesting is how medicine comes full circle. You know, primary care has been under siege in, in recent years with dwindling reimbursement and, and all the pressures put on private practice primary care physicians, and, and you have to run them through your, your office like cattle to make it pay, particularly if your payer mix is, is heavily toward Medicare and, and Medicaid. And, and now with ET3, we're, we're bringing back the house call. You know, we're, we're acting as physician surrogates in this regard, but we're, we're bringing back the house call. And that's one of the coolest things uh, that, that I can think of. That's one of the things about old time medicine that never needed to go away. And I, I like it. I, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. I, I get to go out and make house calls. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's a that's a great word, and I I, I use that term in, in a lot of my EMT and paramedic classes, physician surrogates. I I remind my personnel that they are in fact my eyes and ears. I can't be everywhere every day, but they have to look at themselves. And this is another great kind of segue into the future of EMS, which is getting our own providers to look past the uh, old view of, of EMS as providers of transport, the way the government has for years defined us, instead as, and, and now as providers of, of medical care, of medicine. And we're not transporting patients to healthcare. We are healthcare. And that means they have to take themselves and their training a lot more seriously and to say, you know, I'm not learning how to drive an ambulance. I'm learning how to take care of patients. And, oh, by the way, I have the capability of necessary to transport them to the hospital, but I'm a medical provider first. And that is something that I try to impress upon all of our pre-hospital personnel, that they are integral members of the healthcare system, and they have to demand much more from themselves and each other in the form of, continuing ed and diligence in studies and obtaining degrees in the future and just demanding more from the industry for what they provide, the value they provide to our communities. It's essential. 
Yeah, we're really in an exciting time, and, and it's really going to be interesting to see what the next uh, five years, the next decade brings to our career field. You know, it's it's exciting to know that after all these years, we're finally into a a place where we can really take charge of our own future. I mean, there's so much uncertainty in today's EMS, but it looks like tomorrow's EMS is going to be really bright. You know, Dr. Tan, this is going to be my last question to you. And as the president of NAEMSP, what do you hope that your tenure looks like when you walk out the door in a couple of years that you would have accomplished for your association? Well, I have I have so many hopes and dreams for not only our association and our membership, but for EMS in general. Really, I, in in a couple of years, I would hope to be able to look back and see us make a meaningful a meaningful change in the way we structure the delivery of healthcare through EMS. Um, I'm hoping to see a meaningful change in the way uh, physician medical directors look at their roles and responsibilities as EMS medical directors and really begin to demand more from each other and colleagues. And I'm hoping to also see a, a change, at least the beginning of a change, in the, in the overall attitudes of our providers that we are so privileged to oversee, that they are not just providers of transport, but providers of health care. And we begin to turn this big ship around so that we begin to demand more from their education, demand more from training and continuing ed, and demand more in compensation for the work that they do every day in our communities. Well said, Dr. Tan, and, and uh, I, I don't think anyone could say it better. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Does ET3 have the potential to change the face of EMS in a few years? Is more physician medical director involvement going to be necessary? Are we going to need greater uh, educational requirements? Or can we do that with continuing education, or are we going to have to implement a degree requirement uh, to become the efficient gatekeepers Dr. Tan mentions? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the subject. Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself, co-host Chris Silvalero, and our special guest this week, Dr. David Tan. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.